I'm glad we don't have to watch that video anymore after today. I don't even, I mean, some of you laughed at it every time. Like, it's the same thing over and over again. But uh, I want you to think back with me to the poorest you've ever been. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll go with most poor you've ever been. Like, you're pretty sure you're, you're going to be under an overpass if, it does, if it, things don't turn around. You've already moved into back, back into mom and dad's house. Whatever it is, think back with me to that time in your life when you are as poor as you possibly think you could be. I can remember the day. It was like, uh, you know, a few weeks' time, but the, the day that I thought I literally couldn't be more poor. I was in college, and um, I went to a Bible college, so the whole place closed down on Sundays because they, like, expected you to go to church. But I didn't even have the gas money to go to church, and I had overslept my alarm, so all of my friends went to church without me. And so I was in the dorm pretty much by myself, and I was starving. But I had, I had a meal plan to eat in the cafeteria, but because it's a Christian college, the cafeteria was closed on Sundays. So I had no money to go eat. I had no gas money to drive to, even to my parents' house to get food to eat. I had nothing except in my, in my room at the time, I had one bowl of Easy Mac. And I knew that my friends would be back, you know, later in the afternoon, and I could probably bum some food off them. But, but for the time being, for my Sunday morning brunch, my only choice was this one bowl of Easy Mac. And so I, I, I waited until about 10.30 or 11, and I, and I took the bowl of Easy Mac, and I walked down the hall to the microwave, and the lights were off in the hall because everybody was either gone or still sleeping. And I microwaved the Easy Mac, and it was already the most depressing meal I'd ever had, right? <laughs> like, this is, going, this is not going to taste good. I'm not going to enjoy this. Like, I don't even want to, I don't even know. And so I'm walking back down the hall, and I get ready to turn right down into my dorm hallway, and I turned too early, and I ran into the giant concrete wall that is part of the hallway, and my, I, I, like I made that sound people make when they run into things like, you know, like that kind of sound, and my glasses fell off my head, and the entire bowl of Easy Mac just wipes down the wall, and I was so poor and so hungry that I thought to myself, it's only the second week of college. Those walls can't be that dirty yet. And I was, like, dying and desperate and hungry. I mean, I wasn't really all that hungry. Like, I knew I could survive. But I went back to my room, and I didn't even bother wiping off the walls. I was like, who did that? Like, huh, that's terrible. I, I'm sorry. But I, and I went back to my room, and I'm laying on my bed, and I'm flipping through the TV channels just, like, depressed. And, and you know that moment, you, if you're familiar with Ron White comedy, you've probably heard this before, but you know that moment when he's, like, watching the TV preacher, and he thinks the TV preacher's talking to him? This happened to me at the same time. Like, I'm laying in my bed, and the TV preacher's like, are you broke? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you wonder where your next meal is coming from? And I was like, oh, maybe. And like, like it got worse and worse, and, and it got to the point where this guy's like, I can solve all of your financial problems. And I'm like, no, you can't. Uh -uh. And he's like, just send me what you've got left. And I literally, at that point, I got on my computer and checked. I had a dollar and 27 cents in my checking account. And I was like, if I pay for the 32 cent stamp and send this guy 95 cents, what is he going to do with it? <laughs> like, but, I, but I knew better, right? And I knew that this guy was what we call in, in our business a liar and wasn't really going to do anything with it except buy a new Learjet, right? But it was that moment where I was like, this is the most poor I've ever been. I'll try anything. My friend Brian um, went and heard a famous speaker one night who's a guy who traveled the country and preached at churches and did all sorts of things. And Brian said for the whole hour, the entire room was spellbound. 
Everybody listened to every word he said, and he had the audience in tears, and he had them laughing, and he had everything going for him. And he said at the end, the guy says, you know, I've never done this before. He says, but I feel led to take up an offering right now. And he said, I don't usually do this. That's not how I operate. He said, but I feel led to take up an offering for my ministry. And we work with, you know, and he went on to say the kids that he worked with. And he said, and I feel led because I think God's telling me that there's somebody in here with their last $40 in their pocket. And God wants you to go ahead and give that to the ministry. And my friend Brian, you know, he'd been, he'd been wrapped into this guy for an hour. You know, like he'd been on, he's like, leaned over to his wife. He goes, we have $40 left. And she was like, don't even think about it. But he was so hooked in that the plate comes by and Brian takes out his $40 and he's like, he felt led. God led him to this. I know God's speaking to us right now. But on the way out, because he gave an offering, Brian got a free tape of one of his other sermons and they pop the tape in and they're driving home and his wife, Lisa, is furious at him because he gave away their last $40 and they're as poor as they'd ever been. And, and as they're driving, they finish the sermon and they pull in the driveway and at the end of the sermon, the guy says, you know, I've never done this before. And Brian's like, is this tape from tonight? And Lisa pulls out the case and she goes, this is from three months ago. And the guy on the tape goes, I feel led to take an offering tonight. And I've never done it before. And Brian, Brian joked when he told me this story, he was like, I've had trouble trusting preachers since. The funniest part is Brian is a preacher. Like, <laughs> but it's that moment, right? So when we talk about money in the church, specifically when we talk about giving money to the church, I am the most nervous person in the room every time. Because I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm that guy, right? I don't want you to think that I'm the guy who's convinced that if you just buy me a Learjet, that if you just make my life a little better, that God's going to make your life easier, right? And we've been talking now for a couple weeks about some elephants that are in the room. And we've been talking about how as, as, a, as a collective American people, we probably have too much debt. And as a collective people who are following Jesus, the elephant, another elephant in the room is that we have more than enough. We just need to decide to make that our truth. But today, as we, as we talk about this last elephant in the room, it gets a little more difficult for me. It gets a little more difficult for me because it looks like everything I'm trying to say is, is like the self-serving kind of thing where it's all about me and what I can get. It, it, it gets difficult because if you're not really new, if you're not really like a, a long-time believer, then this is probably going to confirm a lot of suspicions that you've had for a long time. And so I want to say this, if you don't believe in Jesus today, you get a pass. Like, if you're not already doing this, just whip out your phone, play some Candy Crush, like, do your thing. Do people still play Candy Crush? I, I don't know. Check your fantasy score, whatever it is that you do. Like, if you're not sure you believe in Jesus, then today you kind of get a pass because I, I have more important things to talk to you about soon. But it's like Martin Luther said, Martin Luther said, the first conversion is the mind and then the heart and then the purse. And so if you're along the road and you're saying, I think I believe in Jesus, I think I'm buying into this, then we need to have a serious conversation today about your money. And, and I'm telling you, like, I don't, I don't look forward to this Sunday. Every other Sunday of the year, I can't wait. I'm excited. I almost get speeding tickets almost every week getting here. Like, I can't wait to come. But this Sunday in particular, every time I talk about giving, I get a little nervous. Not because I think that I'm going to say is wrong, but because I know what the temptation is to think sometimes. But I want to make sure that this is clear to you, that Jesus is after our entire heart. 
That Jesus isn't just after the Sunday morning hour between 10.30 and 11.30. That Jesus isn't just after the words that come out of our mouth. That Jesus is after everything about us. And one of the biggest reflections of who we are is our heart. And so when we talk about offering and we talk about giving to the church, it gets tempting for me to try to make this about me or for you to try to make this about me. But I'm telling you, I promise you, and I I don't know how else to say this, that we want nothing from you. This is something we want for you. And I want you to check this out because maybe you've heard this verse before, but I want to make sure that you hear it today. Whenever you talk about offering, preachers always bring up the the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. And listen, listen to this promise that God makes. This is one of the only times he uses this sort of language in all of Scripture. Listen to what God says. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. This is one of the only times that he says, put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In all of scripture and everything God says, there are very few times when he says, put me to the test. There are very few times when he gives people permission to try him, right? But this is one of those moments where of everything he's saying, he's saying, listen, if you bring to me the whole tithe, Now, for some of you, that sounds like a word you don't know. Uh, Tithe is the first 10%. And so when we talk about offerings for a long time, we've talked about just giving an offering, but I I think that I sold you short because this promise that God gives in the book of Malachi is a promise that exists for us today. And the the challenge of this is for us to to be willing to bring the whole tithe. And and I want to tell you, that I know your thoughts, that I I know your fears, because I I have them too. I have a mortgage. I have I don't always work. I have appliances. never ever working for a single moment. My battery's full. I don't know. I can't even say can you hear me now? Like it's not funny. <laughs> I've run out of jokes about microphones. All right, so we were talking about giving and money, and some of your money might end up going to a new microphone. Like, um, so here, here's the elephant in the room for the third week, and I, and I want you to hear my heart on this. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't about um, trying to make you feel bad, and so I want to let you kind of, before you shut down on me, I want to make sure that you talk to me about this and hear what I have to say, but the elephant in the room for this week is that we don't give as much as we could. And I, and, I, and I want you to know that I'm not like the camp counselor up here saying, I'm not mad about who put the shaving cream in the sleeping bag. I just want to know who did it. Like, that's not how this is. But I, I want it to be a challenge to each of us. 
a challenge of each of us because here's, here's the deal. As a church right now, as we stand, we give $23 per person per week, which is above the national average by almost $5. So that's awesome, right? Like, we're better than half the country. Woo! Like, that's, that's, that's good news, you know? Like, to be better than the national average at anything is probably an accomplishment. And, even, and if you go even further, we give roughly $39 per family per week, which is, again, above the national average, and it's a good number. But if we're all going to take God at his word, if we're all going to do what God has called us to do, then that number could probably be a little higher. Now, here's the deal. If you, if you average out $39 per household per week, that means that the average household in our church earns $20,000 per year if we're tithing and giving the first 10%. And if that's what we can do, let's keep doing it, right? Like, like I'm not the person to say you're not giving enough because you don't make enough. I'm just saying that if you want to see what God has to promise you, then maybe it's time for you to have a hard conversation about 10%. Or maybe it doesn't even have to be 10% for you. Maybe it's just time for you to start saying, God, what does this look like for us? And I want you, I, I cannot tell you enough how much I hate this conversation. And in fact, this year we weren't going to have this conversation. There was a point um, about a month after our, our second boy was born this year. Cohen is, so this was in May. Cohen's six months old now seven months old now, and, 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 and in May, Cohen had just been born, and you know how it is when you go to the hospital, or let alone like when you have a baby or something like that, and the bills, there's like nine bills that come from the hospital. It can't be one bill, like it has to be this doctor and this nurse and this box of gloves, like you know how it goes, and so all of the bills are coming in from, from, from the birth of Cohen. My car had just come out of the shop. Whitney's car was about to go in the shop. Everything, you know how it goes, right? Like every, every dime we have and more is getting accounted for like that, and we don't even know what's going on. And then one day in the mail, I'll never forget, I, I got the mail, I'm coming in, and we're sitting there at lunch, and Whitney opens it, and it's a bill from a doctor for $1,000. And the insurance had denied covering this bill. And it was for something I had gone, I had gone and had some tests run, and, and the insurance said it was unnecessary, or whatever it was they said, and they're like, no, you didn't need to do this. And so now, on top of every other bill we have, here's a bill from me for $1,000. And so we're sitting there at lunch, and neither one of us wants to say a word. And I get in my car, and I'm driving back to the office, and I'll never forget because I was at the four-way, and I looked at Wendy's. I don't know why I remember this part, but I looked at Wendy's, and I said out loud, God, we've been tithing for the six years we've been married. If this is how you pour blessings out on people who are tithing, I'm sure glad we're giving you 10% because, by golly, I can't imagine life without that blessing. And there was some sarcasm there. And I was mad, right? Like, I'm not the money person in our house. It doesn't usually bother me, but this shook me to the core. And I, and I promise, you don't have to believe the next part of this story. It's fine. But I turned left at the four-way, and I wasn't yet to Stober, if you are familiar with that. I wasn't yet to Stober. And the phone rang, and it was Whitney. And she said, I just called the doctor. And it turns out they had sent your bill wrong and it'll get readjusted, and we only owe $30, not 1000 And I hung up the phone, and I said to myself, sarcasm works. 
But it was this moment, and I don't tell you that to brag about the fact that we tithe. I don't, I don't tell you that to, th- to say that God's going to provide a miracle for you if you do tithe. I, I tell you that because the story goes that God says, test me on this. I can tell you another story because it happened in this building. This summer, late this summer, early this fall, things were getting tight for us financially. And so we're at a board meeting and we're talking about how we can save money. We're talking about how we can improve giving, all of these things. And, and, it, and it, comes, it comes across in the meeting. I don't remember who said it, but someone said, we give 10% off the top to missions. Maybe it's time for us to re-examine that. Maybe it's time for us to take a break on that. And I don't remember who the other person was. It was one of the other five wise men in the room. It wasn't me, I can guarantee that, because I'm like, well, maybe we could save some money. You know, like, but one of the other guys says, absolutely not. We cannot stop trusting God. And I, I can remember the date of the meeting because the very next week, offerings started going back up and things started getting a little more flush and everything started to go in the right direction again. And again, I don't tell you these stories to, to make you think that, that God's going to miraculously give you a lottery ticket. I just tell you these stories to help you see what it is that when we talk about a blessing that God can provide for us. I want you to know that, that it's hard, and I want you to know that it costs. Mother Teresa says, if, I, if you give what you do not need, it is not giving, and it's true. There's story after story in Scripture of people who gave above and beyond, and there's one story in particular that I love. It's in the book of Mark chapter 14, and it's the story, it's a really interesting story. Jesus is, is eating with some friends And while he's eating with some friends, it's in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. It says, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And so she comes with this alabaster flask of pure nard, which is like a perfume kind of thing. And I don't know what an alabaster flask looks like. So the closest thing that I could find was an AL8 bottle, because they both start with AL, okay? Like, that was as close as we could get. But she brings in the alabaster flask to the room, and she breaks it. This is an important part, because there's two options with, with an alabaster flask like she's using. The first option, if you use olive oil in your home or you have any of those kind of things, is you can pour it, right? And if you pour it, it has that cap on the end and it comes out drip, drip, drip because it's an expensive thing. And you don't want to use too much. You don't want to use the wrong amount, so you just drip, drip, drip. Or the other option is to just break it and pour the whole thing out at one time. And the option this woman chooses is she chooses to break the flask and pour it over the head of Jesus. And she knows exactly what she's doing. She's giving this as an offering to Jesus to tell him thank you. And she breaks the flask and she puts, pours it over his head. And there were some in verse 4 who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Does anyone want to take a guess at how much 300 denarii is? It's roughly a talent, actually. So if you were here last week, you know that a talent is roughly, or no, I take that back, I'm wrong, sorry. <laughs> but a 300 denarii is about a year's salary. And so a year's salary is worth about $50,000. 
And so she's got the $50,000 worth of perfume of pure nard in this flask, and she breaks it, and she pours it over his head, and there are people who are going, what are you doing with that? That's a lot of money that could have been given to a better cause. That's a lot of money that could have been given to a different cause. Why are you pouring it on his head? What a waste. And here's the thing, like, when we talk about giving to the church, there are going to be people who say, I don't give to the church because they don't give enough to the poor. I don't give to the church because there, there are people who need it. There are organizations who do better. Like, there's always going to be detractors, people who say they don't believe in the God that they serve. But here's what Jesus says to those people. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so what's Jesus telling the people here? Is he saying, yeah, she spent a lot of money is he saying, yeah, she did a crazy thing that most of you probably wouldn't do. But what's she doing? Is she's making an impact and doing something that people will see and hear for generations. And she's doing that not because she poured out a little bit on the top, but because she was willing to say, it's time for me to break the bottle. You see, she knew that there was a blessing inside of the bottle. But she knew that it would never come if she just tried to pour it out. If she just tried to, to tip it out. She knew that the only solution to finding the blessing that God had promised her was to break the bottle. And she knew that the kind of blessing she would get wouldn't necessarily reflect to other people, but it would be things like a new church in northern Columbus, where next week five people are getting baptized for the very first time because churches like ours set out to support Andrew and Vanessa Schultz and said, we believe in you and we believe in what God is doing in your life and we're going to help start a new church in a place where we'll never go, in a place where we don't know many people, in a place where they root for the Buckeyes. We're still willing to start a church there. And so the first 10% that we give off the top, we see a blessing of five people coming to Jesus next week because we were willing to break the bottle. And maybe for you, it's something that you've been thinking about for a while, and you've been unsure for quite some time, and you've heard, you've heard people talking about it, but you just don't know if it makes that big of a difference. And you don't know if your money really goes to anything that matters. But maybe for you to break the bottle, you need to know about orphan care across the globe. Part of our 10% goes to back-to-back -back ministries, and we talk incessantly about back-to-back -back and what back-to-back -back does in orphan care across the world, in India, in Mexico, in Africa, in South America. Time and time again, when you give, our money goes to making a difference in the lives of children and families who we will never meet, who we will never, ever see. 
And I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be afraid of writing that check. I know what it's like to think, you know what? The church won't miss it. The church won't think that much. My 10% doesn't seem quite like anyone else's. But I promise you, I promise you that sometimes when you're willing to break the bottle, that sometimes when you're willing to make a sacrifice like you can't imagine, that the blessing ends up being reaching the 50,000. We talk all the time in here about the 50,000 people who live within a 20-mile drive of this building and have no idea who Jesus is. The 50,000 people who, if they were to die tomorrow, would, would be doomed to an eternity of suffering and torment because we as a church weren't willing to reach them. And so when we're willing to break the bottle, when we're willing to say, I'm giving all of it. I'm bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. When we do that, when we break the bottle, we'll uncover a blessing like we can't imagine. I heard a story that's been ongoing for a couple of months now that I, I, I can't wait to share with you. I have a friend named Mike who was a preacher for a very long time. And you probably know this about preachers if you've been around for very long, but preachers don't make very much money. Mike never drove a car that was less than five years old. Mike never had health insurance through his work. Mike never had life insurance until five years ago he got a new job at a church in Atlanta. And for the first time in his 52 years of working life, Mike had health insurance, life insurance, and a secure job. And he had given his whole life to the Lord. He'd worked in churches in Covington. He'd worked in churches in Eastern Europe. He had worked all over the world as a pastor for Jesus. He and his wife, Anise, had been faithful their whole lives. And Mike, Mike was finally living somewhat comfortably in Atlanta. And six months after he got the job, after he got the health insurance, after he got the life insurance, a doctor came in and said, Mike, you have cancer. And for four and a half years now, Mike battled cancer. Until about two months ago, three months ago now, Mike won the battle with cancer and went to be with the Lord. Mike's wife, Anise, has a brother named Al. And I know there's a lot of names here, but you just have to stick with me. Al works for a group called Hippo Valley Christian Mission. And they serve in the impoverished areas of Zimbabwe. And one of Al's jobs is to train preachers in Zimbabwe, not to bring in more missionaries, but to train preachers so that the native people become their own missionaries. And so Al had taken Mike down, and Mike had become passionate about the missionary, about t raising preachers up in Zimbabwe. And so Al, because, because his wife was family, because they had invited him to come, came down to Mike's church a few weeks after Mike had passed. And he preached a sermon, and he, they took up a special offering, as they always did, for Hippo Valley Christian Mission. And Al said, when I watched my sister walk to the front, I already had tears in my eyes. And he said his sister, who had never had much more than two dimes to rub together as, as through 40 years as being a preacher's wife, who had just gotten a large sum of money from her husband's life, life insurance, had no business walking forward to give a check. And he said, when I opened the envelope and saw that she donated $10,000, he said, I couldn't believe it. And he said, Anise, I know this is more than 10% of what you took home in Mike's life insurance. I know you don't have a job. I know that you guys have never had much. You need this money. And she said, no, no, no. We decided long before 
that off the top, this was going back to Hippo Valley Christian Mission to start a scholarship fund for preachers in Zimbabwe. And in that moment, Anise knew what it was like to break the bottle. So the story happened about a month ago, and it's been getting passed around to different churches and different mission organizations. Just yesterday, my friend Al, who relayed this story to me, called me. And he said, you're telling the story about Anise tomorrow, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, there's an addition to the story. And he said, somebody heard the story of Anise and her giving the $10,000 and anonymously mailed her a $10,000 money order with a note that said, this Christmas we had set aside $10,000 to be a blessing to some other family. And she said, and we, and we knew the moment we heard your story that you were the one we wanted to be a blessing to. And he said, you don't need to give anything to anybody. You don't need to pay anybody back. But we are so touched by your courage and by your generosity that we wanted to be the blessing for you. And I just can't stop thinking about the amount of courage that it would have taken for someone like Anise to say that I'm going to break this bottle. I'm going to sacrifice more than I think I'm capable of. I'm going to give it all up just to see what's inside. But Anise knows one thing for sure. She knows that her husband is in heaven. And she knows that today Mike has no cancer, Mike has no pain, he has no struggle. And she knows that her husband Mike is in heaven because of a long time ago a preacher who told Mike about Jesus. And Mike is in heaven today because someone told him about Jesus. And someone told him about Jesus because someone funded the church that Mike grew up in that was the church that Mike came to know the Lord in. And so Mike said, you know what, I'm going to make sure that there are other people who have that same opportunity. And so he spent his entire life telling other people about Jesus. And even in his death, he said, I want this money to go to be a blessing to other people to learn about Jesus. And the blessing that he was given and the blessing that he wanted to be is the blessing to tell people that Jesus Christ came to this earth and said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here over the next few minutes as the men pass the communion, maybe the blessing that you need to remember or need to know more than any other blessing is that Jesus came to die so that you and I aren't destined to an eternity of torment. That Jesus Christ came to earth to die to give us the hope of heaven.